0: Welcome to you all for being part of this seminar. My name is Aisha Aman, and I'm a lecturer at the School of Social Work and Social Policy here at Trinity. Gordula Biri and I are your hosts for today. We are grateful to the School of Social Work and Social Policy and the Equality Office for the financial support of the seminar and of McGraw from the Trinity Research and Social Sciences Program for technical support. Just a quick word about house rules before we begin. We will have five minutes after each keynote, so we'll only be able to take one or two questions, but you will have the opportunity to discuss your points in the breakout sessions. You can also post your questions in the Q&A on Zoom, so it's it's at the bottom um, of your Zoom, um, and we will select some questions to ask our speakers. Looking at the list of participants, I can see a wonderfully diverse audience in attendance. And this only speaks to the reality that if inequality is to be addressed, we have to see it as a collective problem, a communal problem, a societal problem, and indeed a global problem. For while inequality involves individuals, it also involves institutions, infrastructures, policies, politics, language, power, economics, history, the ways in which we think about ourselves and others, the ways in which we organize our societies and relate to each other, um, and so on. So Brazilian educator and activist Paulo Freire has observed that the path towards achieving greater equality begins in developing a critical consciousness, what he calls with becoming aware of the embedded forms and levels of oppression in the structures, narratives, and systems um, that keep the socially dispossessed in their place. Greater consciousness, he says, is at the heart of liberatory education and informed social action, which have the power to cut through the culture of silence surrounding oppression. It is with this aim of creating a greater critical consciousness that we bring you this seminar. We have two excellent keynote speakers with us today, Dr. Ibun Joseph from the Institute of Anti-Racism and Black Studies in Ireland, and Dr. Keisha Lindsey who is joining us from the University of Wisconsin Madison in the US. The two presentations will be followed by three breakout sessions hosted by Ms. Mamobo Agoro who is the first Sanctuary PhD fellow at the University of Limerick, Ms. Donna Vuma from the Movement of Asylum Seekers Ireland, and myself. And the purpose is to offer an interactive space within which to discuss strategies and action points needed to create a more inclusive academic environment for staff and students alike in higher education institutions. The action points raised in the breakout groups following the keynotes will be shared with our equality office, an inclusive curriculum project here at Trinity, as well as with the Athena Swan committee at the School of Social Work and Social Policy. Uh, The School of Social Work and Social Policy is a recent recipient of the Athena Swan Bronze Award for Gender Equality, and I've served as a member of the Athena Swan Self-Assessment Team in the development of the school's action plan for greater gender equality. Yet gender equality, as even the Athena Swan Charter observes, is only one aspect of equality, and a more refined approach is required if we are to get to the heart of multiple forms of structural inequality and exclusion which simultaneously intersect categories of race and ethnicity, such as experiences of being Black or Asian or Hispanic or Irish traveler, alongside social class, gender, sexuality, age, disability, and so on. Um, Trinity has has been active in addressing educational disadvantage by providing scholarships and supports to low income students through the Trinity Access Program since 2003. Trinity's disability services provide a wide range of comprehensive supports to students in assessing and responding to special needs. As a response to a student that campaigned last year, Trinity is establishing its first elective Black Studies module, which will be taught by Dr. Philomena Mullen. Trinity has also been awarded the University of Sanctuary status more recently which aims to foster a culture of welcome for its refugee students and establish a scholarship program for them, albeit a very limited one right now. In October last year, Trinity launched an inclusive curriculum project with the intention of making the curriculum more accessible and inclusive to undergraduate and postgraduate students. While the college is taking steps towards ensuring greater equality and inclusivity, there is an acknowledgement that there is still a long path to tread. While today's event can by no means do justice to the innumerable and multifaceted forms of inequalities that minority populations face in higher education, we hope that it will provide an opportunity and a forum for, continue, for continued action-oriented conversations for making higher education an inclusive place from the inside out. Um, and we are delighted to have with us Dr. Claudia Brook. An associate Vice Provost for the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Unit at Trinity. Dr. Brooke will give us more detailed insight about the college's initiatives for achieving equality, diversity and inclusion of students and staff on campus. Dr. Brooke is an Associate Professor of Italian. She was educated at Oxford University where she received her DPhil and at University College Dublin where she received her BA and MA. She served as reader at the University of Birmingham, the Russell Group, before taking up her position at Trinity College in 2017. Alongside her current position as Associate Vice Provost for Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, she's also the head of the Italian department. So over to you, Dr. Brooke.
1: Thank you so much. Um, And I'm I'm really delighted to be here today. It's a great event and it's a real pleasure to come and and talk to you um, briefly today really and to introduce this event in the school. And I know this school is one that's embarking on embedding real change. Um, The School of Social Work and Social Policy recently won the Athena Swan um, Award for its commitment to gender. And in the application, the school actually put a firm and nuanced focus on the intersectionality of gender, which I personally like and, uh, and, and I support. So in the proud moment in in which this school got the Athena Swan Award, it was the first award after five years with no school awards um, at all for Trinity. So it was brilliant news for the school and for the college and and, and for me as well, so I'm I'm particularly pleased to come to a school which has this new um, award in it. So I hope after the initial excitement of success, you're finding ways to make the actions come alive and be agents of positive change, because that's what this is all about, the impact of those great intentions in the award um, to make change. So when the Times Higher placed Trinity third in the world for gender equality last summer, um, it was looking at the extraordinarily quick rate of change here. Um, In just a few years, all the governance bodies of this university became gender balanced as they now are. 31% of chair professors are women. That's up from 17% in 2015. And that might not sound great because that is not gender balanced at 31%, but it's actually one of the best numbers in the world. And one might come back and ask why Um, 31% is, is a fantastic number. Um, because that speaks volumes in itself and of course all of our three provost candidates are women which suggests I think a great deal of confidence in in leadership um, in women um, and women feeling themselves as leaders within the university. Um, I'm very interested in change Um, I always have been in my career um, in terms especially of how how social change is is brought about and i think the rate of change in gender in trinity is really interesting and it shows to me a couple of things that are important when the right pressures are applied on institutions, and by this I, you know, I say research funding linked to equality targets works. Um, So when the right pressures are applied to institutions um, by government, we see change. And when a structural approach to change is taken real change with real positive impact on both men and women's lives can happen. So those are two things, there are many ways in which change happens, but those are two things that I would identify as particularly important. Um, so this is all why I'm delighted today to see a discussion which takes in not just sexism, but also racism and questions of class. We can learn a great deal from the structural approach taken in the Athena Swan um, uh, Charter for tackling these and other areas, especially race where Ireland and Trinity have not yet done enough. Now that's not to say that we haven't done anything. Um, You've just heard of some of the things that have been done in Trinity, the Black Studies elective, um, the inclusive curriculum project, which is really important, I think, because it is a project which aims to look at how we reflect um, and engage, I suppose, the experiences of all students um, across Trinity. And that includes students coming from, um, to take in the themes of today, coming from ethnic backgrounds which are, are, not, um, uh, are not simply white Irish. Um, and also which takes in uh, differences to economic classes. So that's a really important um, project and I would, I would urge you to, um, to be engaged with that project as it rolls forward within, within your school and actually if any of you listening outside as well um, to, to be aware of that project. I'd flag another project too, which I think is really critical, which is a two-year project which is being run by the Histories and Humanities um, School on Trinity's colonial legacies. This is absolutely fundamental um, because we go nowhere in the present and the future if we don't look also towards the past and to look at how our own um, racism is a systemic um, issue, is something which is, is, is linked to um, the past of this college and is something to which we need to uh, throw our eyes um, to understand better and to, where necessary, make the changes. The University of Sanctuary is also an important move um, with its focus on refugees and I'd add to this one one final thing which I think is 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 critical right at the moment, the report and support tool, this is a tool for allowing everybody in the university to report um, incidents of sexism of racism of any kind of. uh, I suppose um, uh, behaviour which which is, is 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 not good within the university, which is is discriminatory within the university. This will be rolled out nationally and also in Trinity at the start of next semester, um, and it'll give us a much bigger picture of where there are problems, um, and I think that's really important um, to change as well. Um, finally, I would say that um, we are setting up a race and ethnicity group in Trinity. Um, this is to look at structural change. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's significant too. We can learn a lot from Athena Swan um, in terms of a project that looks at how staff are recruited, how they are mentored, how they are supported, how they progress. Um, and if we don't do that, work on change will always be too slow. So just to to conclude, really, um, rolling back sexism and racism um, and classism in in higher education um, is an arduous task. Um, And the last point I just wanted to make today is that it is a task which is falling too much on the shoulders of women and especially on our younger colleagues who have yet to forge their careers. Um, With this school's interest in privilege and oppression, if there's one thing I would ask today, it is that the men present here seriously consider committing to taking forward changes and going back to ask their male colleagues to be active in the allyship and to step forward. It's absolutely terrific, I think, to see the wonderful, competent, inspiring people who are here today to lead the keynotes and the workshops. But don't leave the labour fall only to women. Please pay your par- part in making this university fairer. Um, and that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's all I have to say um, today. Um, back to you.
2: Um, Thank you very much, uh, Clodo, for this welcome um, from Trinity and also for highlighting how we need these right pressures to work um, towards institutional change. And it's also very interesting to see how much is currently happening across uh, Trinity in this area. Thank you very much. So I will go now over to introduce our first keynote speaker, um, Dr. Eben Joseph. Um, Dr. Joseph is a Race Relations Consultant, Director of the Institute of Anti-Racism and Black Studies, and also Chairperson of the African Scholars Association here in Ireland. Dr. Joseph held the position of Career Development Consultant at the Royal College of Surgeons, and she is Lecturer and Module Coordinator of Ireland's first Black Studies module at UCD. Ebon is an author, TV panelist, columnist, equality activist, and also convener of various webinars on anti-racism, and she regularly responses on contemporary issues of racism in Ireland. Her research focuses on labor markets and race relations, and her recent book is titled Racial Stratification in Ireland, A Critical Race Theory of Labor Market Inequality, which was published with Manchester University Press. And she has also co-authored the book Challenging Perceptions of Africa in Schools, Critical approaches to global justice education, um, which was published last year. I am absolutely delighted um, that she has agreed to speak at today's webinar. And without further ado, Ebun, um, the virtual floor is yours. Thank you. Perfect.
3: Thank you so much, Kadula, and thanks, you know, to everyone who's put this program together. And for the invitation. And it's just great to see that we're actually having these conversations of not just looking at gender alone, but looking at how race and gender intersects. You know, so many colleges and universities, you know, have done so much work, you know, in talking about, you know, diversifying the student force and bringing in more students. But one area where we totally, completely always fall down is in diversifying the workforce, particularly when we look at setting groups, you know, um, and see which groups are missing, you know, when we when we come to the table. I'm going to share my slide. I have 20 minutes. I have uh, um, so much, but I'm just going to I think what I'm going to try and do is to hopefully set up the conversations for us later. And so that when you start having those conversations, you know, just have some some background information. But I'm going to try and look at um, overcoming sexism and racism in higher education through a, a racial stratification framework lens. You know, the question I'm asking is that what can we learn from racial stratification? Because when we look at inequality, inequality is always about power, is always about the policies and the laws. You know, it's not about one mean terrible person. You know, most times when we look at inequality um, and the outcomes we have, most times we're like, oh, you know, we we focus on the individual. I'm like, leave the individual. Yes, it it takes the individual for us to to see what we're seeing, but it is the system. We have a system of operation, a way we reproduce, and we reproduce that action over and over and over, and until we're able to address the system that reproduces, that brings us, that has brought us to where we are today no change really really happens so that's going to be my key theme to look at you know what we can learn from stratification um to look at um the whole idea of intersectionality and then i would run through a few ideas of things that you know we can put on the table this is a little bit about me but kodula did a fantastic job of introducing me so i'm going to not talk so much about this and go on but if i start by this um This picture, you know, that from the day these innocent ones are born, their experiences and outcome will be different, even before they have done anything, even before they have, you know, fit the stereotype or whatever it is, you know, their outcomes, their experiences are going to be different. Simply because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, because of the intersectionalities that they bring to those spaces. So, you know, we have some things that are already working even before we do that. If I had enough time, less more than you know, the time I had, if I had enough time to, to go through this and ask the question, you know, that if you look at the the chat, I've been trying to just, you know. Simplify this whole idea of racial stratification so that when people hear it, you can get it, you can understand what people are grappling with in the labor market. Because let's not forget the higher education and um, HEIs are—it uh, is the labor market as well, just the labor market for academics, you know. And because we look at it, it's like we separate the HEIs from the labor market, but it is the labor market, and you know that whatever is happening in our in our HEIs, you know, it is a uh, uh, it is a microcosm of our bigger society. So whatever is happening out there is actually happening in here. Now, what we don't know, which 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 one is it? Um, you know, is it the chicken before the egg? You know, is it the You know, is our education system that reproduces what we have in the society, or is it the society that produces what we have in our education system? That one we will have to have a different debate to address. But when we look at this, you know, this graphic I have up here now, you know. I mean, like if I ask the question, you know, for for all of these people, for them to achieve, you know, to reach the top of that ladder and, you know, get this prize I have at the end of it, whichever role that is up there, you know, um, from from the way it looks, you know, if all their legs and everything is working well, we would say, yes, you know, they would achieve it. They would all be able to get there. But what we don't see then is that, you know, they all do not start from the same place. What we don't then see is how this whole idea of stratification, you know, it's not just something that is in an outside world, but it's also within the academy as well. That even when we talk as women, even when we talk about gender, even when we talk about that whole issue, that that this gender space, we all don't have the same experiences in the labour market. So that even in the HEIs themselves, that we do not have the same experience. And so sometimes when I hear and then we talk about you know um, the outcomes of women, you know, and I Claudia you know shared some really fantastic statistics, I did not put myself in there because I'm like she's not talking about me. You know, you're not talking about me. That statistic does not involve me or it does not include people who look like me, you know? So in other words, so whenever I hear such statistics, what comes up for me is that, oh, we mean white Irish women, you know? We don't mean, you know, migrant women. We don't mean traveler women. We don't mean, you know, um, black women who look like me, you know, so that is where... That is where we have the major challenge, that we are not working together, we are not singing on the same hymn that, you know, from the same hymn, that coalition that we all need to be able to tackle, to be able to fight this big elephant that is in the room. In fact, somebody said that, the, that there is no elephant in the room, that actually that the room is the elephant, you know, but that this, the energy that we need to fight this major elephant, that we, we are not able to do that because some people are being left behind. So if you look at this graphic, you see so clearly that some people. don't start we all don't start from the same place you know and so you can see some you know who have generational wealth irish networks you know and we know mobility in the academy is by sponsorship, people who sponsor you. I mean, I, I, if I had the time to tell you some of the experiences I've had in Ireland is, is unbelievable. I am still, how I am still within the academy, I don't understand. I remember when I was doing my doctorate degree, you know, and, and there was a conversation that came back to me later, you know, and the, the question was, you know, they were going to ask me to do, um, they were going to ask me to teach a, um, one of this and um, you know to take one of the stitching them um, assistant roles you know as a, a phd student and um, somebody in that meeting decided that Ebun did not have the time i'm like how how does somebody make that decision on my behalf so those conversations that you have So if there's anything, already I've started to talk about how we can begin to make those changes. Those conversations that you have where we are not there, where people who look like me are not there, to hear what you're saying. Those conversations that you have in what, in quote, you call your safe space, that marginalize and continues to marginalize and perpetuate the cycle of inequality. That is a key part of where this inequality that we see within our system continues to perpetuate. So that if we can have conversations in a way that we are conscious that, you know, even if the voices, even if the people we're talking about are not there, that we that we are true to ourselves in that conversation so when we look at these you know we can see you know from different nationalities from different groups you can see some with generational wealth with networks you know some who went to private school you can see that all of those things they form a part of the ladder you know and and in my work in racial stratification i talk about those who are us those who are like us who are almost like us those who are them and those who are other so obviously those who are other are those who are dark skinned the darker you are you know the you know the more other you are and on top of that ordering you have everything from stratification racism bias in recruitment on cited articles you know um, again we know that women's articles get you know cited less then even black scholars articles get cited even less You know, and so we see that whatever it is, you know that you know that women are experiencing. We see that you know that black women experience that in multiple folds. And so when we begin to mitigate, when we begin to put um, processes in place to address it, and we don't look at all of this stratification within our system, those who are in the hole, they they dig further and further and further down. I mean, I could spend time telling you about the precarity, you know, of of you know magic of of um, of migrant women or, or black women you know and within the academy you know where we want to learn but yet you know they are still brought in only you know the modernization of 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 the skills and the competencies that they bring in you know um where they are brought into guest lectures from which you cannot do anything you cannot um you can't publish, you can't have time to supervise, um, to or to even do you know major to do any major research. And without researching, your career does not go anywhere. You know, so you find the, the the you know the system has a way of operating, it operates in such a way that it keeps these particular groups of people totally marginalized, you know, within the system. So it's really just holding that picture in your mind of the you know of the stratification order and how that you know impacts on where we we end up. Because if you start so further back down, where you end up in this whole system of stratification is inevitable. It is inevitable because of where you start. So it's not about where you end up. So when I talk about stratification, racial stratification, so that, that combination, it's not about where you end up, it's about where you start. So when people are starting, you know, four steps ahead, and some are starting four steps behind, for the person who is starting four steps behind, you have to walk one, two, three, four times as hard to achieve the same result as the person who is starting from down here or the person who is starting from up there. So the real debate about race really is not whether there are any differences between populations, but about the significance of such difference. How does, you know, when race intersects with gender, how significant is that? How does that significantly impact on your experiences in the HEIs? So when we look at Just to see a few things about Ireland, so we see in Ireland that everyone is not treated the same. Whether you're Eastern European, Western European, or African, it impacts on your labour market, and so you can see the statistics up there. Again, we always hear that oh, it's not always about skin colour, but our census statistics tells us that no, it is about skin colour. You know, it is just the elephant in the room that we don't talk about. You know, because black women and people marginalised groups are expected to take it and not talk about it. You know, so what we see here from our Census statistics, 2011, 2016, our census statistics shows us, you know, um, you know, that white Europeans have a percentage in employment compared to black Africans compared to black who are not African. When we look at it, you know, one of the things we constantly talk about, you know, is, you know, the ability to communicate in English or to you know, or, or, you know, uh to to communicate in English and all of that. But you can see that even the black Africans in the census, who 82 percent of them could speak well in English, yet it did not convert to management role. It did not convert to employment. And it's the same thing we are having in the HAI today that there is no conversion. Check our system, and unfortunately, we don't have metrics. And that is it. We go to the UK. I just refuse to put UK metrics here because it is of no use for us using. UK metrics. We don't have metrics. We do not collect metrics, you know, and that is the major, major reason, major problem, you know, and it helps us to hide behind and helps us to feel like if we're doing things and that things are okay, you know. When we look at again, key thing I'm saying here is that stratification exists in Ireland. So this is an employment program where I showed the work again. Read my book um, on racial stratification, and you can see that there. And I explain how you know that stratification is that Western Europeans are, are, are stratified above Eastern Europeans, and who are stratified above Black Africans, even in the academy today. And we see that you know um, in the employment program again it showed, and that is what we are having in the academy. I like you could my whole emails can be uh can be a full research for somebody the number of requests i get every day sometimes i'm just afraid to open my email because every time i open my email there's at least five new requests can you do this can you come and do this can you come and do this in my emails all the time yet you know so we look at this employment program what we see here is that you know the, from the employment program, while the black Africans in the employment program, while they had a high level of labor market participation, more than half of them, their participation was in unpaid work. Unpaid work, and that's what you find happening within the academy today. We are excited, you know, by this sexiness of of trying to, you know, work with, you know, uh, you know, blackness and and you know, writing black and you know, black studies and and black history and black lives, but we're excited by all of those things. Yet we're not willing to invest in it. You know, what we want to do is to get somebody from um, the asylum system to come in, to give an hour, give an hour in UCD, give an hour in Trinity College, give an hour in Galway, give an hour all over the place. And they are spread out all over the place and nothing, you know, to, so it's like, it's like black people have to then pay to educate the system. Yet others are paid to educate the system. That is a fundamental problem within the system. And until we begin to face it, look at it, and address it, we are not going anywhere. Nothing is going to change. So it's really looking at some of those changes where you know that that we move away from that colonial space. You know where black labor is taken and and used for free. We are still having it instant. You know ha- happening. You know today within within our system. You know so when I talk about black labor, you know, it it is presented like a surplus, you know, but it it is not a surplus in the real sense, but they are this unwanted and unwelcome group in the labor market and within the HEIs, it is showing as well, you know, so, so we want bits of you, but we don't want all of you. And, you know, so that, that whole experience is what, you know, we are faced with. So I'm not just going to so so when we look at when gender intersects with race, from an employment program, I began to show the real impact of, uh, of gender and, and race intersection. So we see here from this chart, you can see that the Spanish males, you know, while 91% of them were able to progress into employment. So this was from a study with uh, the, the, the number of people I analyzed was 625. While they were the males were 91% were able to progress into paid employment, you could see that only 83% of them had third level education compared to Spanish females at 96%. Yet, the females, 71% of them only progress to paid employment compared to 91% of the males. So you can begin to see immediately that in the labor market in Ireland, gender begins to play. But when gender and race intersect this um for this for that patriarchy does for men it actually does not do the same thing across all groups so you can see here that the spanish females why the spanish males did better than spanish females you can see that spanish females did better than polish men so so gender did not um favor the polish men because their race um impacted on their outcome in the labor market. The same way you can see the Polish women did better than the Nigerian men. So gender does not um, provide this this patriarchy, as we look at, does not provide this um, seat for everyone across the board. So that when it intersects, when race and gender intersects, our race becomes the the determinant of your experiences and your outcome in, in the labor market. So just really key thing. So this intersectionality really is not, so when we talk about intersectionality. While many of us are interested about it, it's not about adding more and more, you know, um, um, identities. Intersectionality is not about identities, but it's about how these different um, aspects of ourselves interact together to impact on our outcomes. So so not just, you know, saying, oh, because I have this and I have that. And like, where do we stop? You know, so we so looking at that. And we see that in Ireland, In the whole of Ireland, we have only one And I think it is a massive shame for us as a nation. In the whole of Ireland, we have only one black female professor who identifies as black in the whole of Ireland. In fact, we have no uh, professor of African descent. The only one we had, a male professor, he's, I think he's retired now, you know? So we have no um, um, female of African descent, you know, who is in the professorial or even have a tenured a tenured Um, role. You know, so when we look at it, that all of these issues, we see them when we have, yet we are not able to put a strategic plan in place to address this. And that's why that problem continues. We look at it and we're saying, oh, it will fix itself one day, you know, and we look at that. I'm the chairperson of the African Scholars um, Association in Ireland. When I look at that whole group, right now there are about 80, 80 members, you know, who have either PhDs or are in the process of completing their PhDs. I'm like 80 People, I can give you their phone numbers right now. And that is that we have not even advertised to get as so many of them who are in other places yet how many of these people are actually in tenured roles how many of these people are in full roles you know so we begin to see all of those things so for me that is what gets my back up because i look at it it's not just something people are telling me is a reality we live. one of our members she's a doctor and she has a phd and she's not been able to navigate into the She has applied and applied and applied and applied. She's so tired of applying. She actually went and did a a level five. She's working as a care assistant, a level five uh, program, five academic levels lower than where she is because she's not able to navigate into our system. Our systems are blocked. And so that's why. So we look at, you know, so some of the things then we then begin to have when we begin to bring in new people, when we bring in one. So how do we mitigate against, you know, this, you know, being the first or only one syndrome? So those are some of the things that we, we are going to become to begin to be faced with. As we all then begin to actually make, take actions to bring changes, how do we mitigate that, you know, being the first or being the only one? How do we look at, you know, this intersectional failures from yesterday, you know, where we try to do intersectionality, but how we fail the system, you know, looking at all of those things, the power context, you know, remember, it's always about power, you know, who has the right to even produce knowledge, who has the right to be seen. So those are some of the things. And so when we look at, you know, feminism at the end of the day, you know, what do we really need is that, you know, anti-racist, um anti-racist activism and anti-discrimination laws should highlight the multiple avenues through which racial and gender oppressions are experienced. So those are key things that we want to begin to look at, you know. So when we think about the consequences of constantly being the minority at work, you know, think about it. I want us to begin to think about those things. What are those consequences? Who are the gatekeepers in Ireland? You know, we don't like to talk about it. But you see, I just I've told everybody I, I'm not in the humor to be nice to anyone again because it has not helped helped my community you know it has not helped the progress of my community it has not helped the progress of people who look like me who are the gatekeepers because until we are able to know you know until you are able to identify yourself to say i am one of the gatekeepers i was in that conversation where i was a gatekeeper and i kept this person out or i kept these people out i am one of those who um screen out people's cvs don't forget it's not the it's not the building when we talk about, you know, discrimination, it's not the building, it's you and I, it's what you and I do, you know, it's how we respond. So when we look at the gatekeepers, who are they in Ireland? Business in the community has shown that women and those from black and minority ethnic groups and black, they report that line managers are often barriers to promotion. You know, and that the path, you know, to the top is strewn with racial stereotypes, poor management, and a fixed view about what it means to be a good academic. So we have those views, you know, and and those are the things that impact. It. And until we begin to actually name it, and in our meetings begin to ask ourselves, who are the gatekeepers in our organization? How are we gatekeeping? What are the principles? What are the methods we are using to gatekeep? Nothing is going to change. So it's that elephant and the room that we refuse to name, but the impact, you know, is being felt, and people are living to that impact. So this is just from some some work from my book, you know, that shows that why it is really important for us to address all of this because the experiences that people have in the labor market in their in their process of trying to navigate into the um, HEIs, what happens is that we people's identities become reconstructed. I don't have the time to go too much into that, but just to be aware that identities become reconstructed. I could show you, you know, because I knew it was gonna be recorded, so I did not bring the videos, the, the pictures. I wanted to show you, you know, pictures of so many people who are managers now. They are actually managers in places like PayPal, you know, in Google, they all have PhDs, but they've had to migrate just like so many of us, you know. Sorry, people- Eben? Uh, would you be able to wrap up in a minute? Okay, I'll I'll try yes. and wrap up now. You know, so we've been we've had to migrate out of the labor market, you know, to be able to um out of the HEIs to be able to navigate the labor market. So just to be aware of that, I think there's just one slide I want to show. Um, you know, just one slide. You know. Uh, Okay, so that this is just really about stratification you know that so racial stratification is not about where you end up but where you start and the thing is that if you start so far down where you end up actually becomes inevitable and that we work we operate in a system that is rigged against some groups to facilitate others and we must become aware of you know all of those steps all of those processes you know that are rigged against us and that you know it is important for us to see that you can change your economic positioning on that ladder You know, so by becoming a professor, a lecturer, and you can change your economic position, but you cannot change your racial positioning on that ladder. And it is that racial positioning that impacts on recruitment, on promotion, in how we create um, a a welcoming environment, an environment where everyone um, can grow within the system. You know, Um, so thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciated that um, insight, and as, as you said, that racial stratification is not about where you end up, but where you start. So, in, in a sense, that um, inequality is something that's cumulative um, over the life course, um, and um, yeah, and then if you you start out in an in a place of relative inequality, um, and and that um, that keeps so that inequality keeps adding to your experiences as you you try to go up um, the proverbial ladder so thank you so much Um, I I do have some some of my own comments on that but because um, of time um, I'll bring them up in the breakout sessions I see that there are as such um, no questions is there a question for you Uh, let me try and see if there's anything Nope, I don't see anything here. So I will um, go on to talk uh, to introduce uh, Dr. Lindsay now. So um, Dr. Keisha Lindsay is an associate professor in the departments of gender and women's studies and political st- science at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Her research and teaching interests include feminist political theory, Black feminism. Black masculinities and gender-based politics in the African diaspora. She pays particular attention to how Black people articulate their gendered and racialized identifications via popular and scholarly conversations about a range of topics, including public schools, gay marriage, Black female respectability, and police brutality. Professor Lindsay is the author of In a Classroom of Their Own, The Intersection of Race and Feminist Politics in All Black Male Schools. Uh, The book was published by the University of Illinois 2018. Um, Dr. Lindsay has also several article length manuscripts. Her talk today addresses how women of color are systematically oppressed within within the nation's major institutions and how racism and patriarchy interlock to marginalize women of color in general and African-American women in particular who are pursuing academic
4: careers. So over to you, Dr. Lindsay. Thank you. And let me go ahead and um, share my screen. Make sure that, okay. Is that showing up okay for everyone? Wonderful. Um, Good afternoon. I'm I'm really excited to be here. First, I'd like to thank Dr. Amon for inviting me to join you this afternoon. And thank you to the Trinity Equality Fund and the School of Social Work for helping to make this event happen. Um, Given that we have a lot to cover in a relatively short period of time, let's turn our attention to the matter at hand, overcoming racism and sexism in, in U.S. higher education. So I will focus my attention, as the title suggests, to the American or the U.S. context. So Black Lives Matter, uh, Me Too. These phrases, as we all know, are increasingly pro- prevalent in the U.S. academic, popular, and uh, U.S. academic and popular discourse, and they've drawn much-needed attention to race and gender-based oppression in the courts, the classroom, and the workplace. At the same time, as I'm sure many of you are aware. Even though both of these movements um, were co founded by Black women, most of the Black Lives Matter and the Me Too related discourse is curiously silent about how women of color are systematically oppressed within America's major socioeconomic institutions. As the following quotations from Me Too founder Tarana Burke and intersectional scholar Kimberly Crenshaw make clear, this silence or silencing of, of the voices of women of color. Um, has not gone unnoticed. So Burke uh, declares, uh, quote, the number one thing I hear from folks is that the Me Too movement has forgotten us, i.e. Black, Hispanic, and Native American women." Crenshaw strikes a similar note when she asserts, quote, although Black women are routinely killed, raped, and beaten by the police, their experiences are rarely foregrounded in popular understandings of police brutality. So my talk today aims to help bridge the silence or the silencing of women of color by by highlighting how racism and patriarchy interlock to marginalize women of color who are pursuing academic careers in the US. To this end, my intersectionally informed analysis will highlight how certain discursive and material realities limit the ability of women of color to succeed in the US Academy. Um, And I wanna make this clear, my aim is not only to use intersectionality to demonstrate how and why women of color are oppressed in the academy. It's also to highlight another important, equally important reality that embracing an intersectional framework is key to identifying specific strategies that universities and colleges in the US can and should use to make the academy a space where women of color can thrive. So let's begin by getting a better sense of Um, women of color's representation or lack thereof, I would say, in higher education in the US. And I'm just going to walk us through some some basic um, statistical information. So women of color in the US make up anywhere between 15 to 20% of the total population, depending on what data sources you're looking at. But as you can see from this slide, if you look at that first blue block, women of color only constitute 9% of employees in higher education in the U.S. So you can already begin to see that disparity um, between the total representation in in the population and their representation in the academy. The same pattern holds true for two specific groups of minority women, Hispanics and Blacks, in higher education administration. Um, while these these groups of women are rep- reasonably well represented in fiscal affairs, for instance, and you can see that um, let's see fiscal affairs. If you look down uh, one, two, three, four, the fifth column, fifth uh, aqua uh, colored. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to go say black. If you look at the last column, my apologies. Um, the orange. Um, bar there that indicates 17% representation in um, in fiscal affairs which is a, a, a representative re- representation but that's unusual if you look at all of the other categories for black or Hispanic women they are not represented um, their they're representation in these arenas of um, administration are, I do not reflect their actual population uh, representation, the total population. So that just gives you a sense of what I mean when I say that women of color are underrepresented in the academy. Um, you know, this is in the realm of administration. If we jump ahead, we'll see that unfortunately, the same pattern is at work for women of color in the actual classroom. So again, while they make up approximately 15 to 20% of the total US population, as you can see here, the representation at all academic ranks falls far below this mark. So um, in the US, the academic hierarchy um, generally runs from, you know, if, if we start here, professor would be the top of the heap, associate professors who are tenured, assistant professors, and then instructors. And you can see that in all of these cases, Um, women of color, and here the the specific groups that are focused on are Asian women, black women and Latinas, and none of these instances and none of these ranks do their numbers reflect their actual representation in the total population. Last but certainly not least, women of color in the U.S. Academy are underpaid relative to their colleagues, including men of color, White women and white men. So you can see women of color um, in in higher ed in the US earn 67 cents for every dollar that white men earn. Um, and then you can see how that plays out relative to other groups, underrepresented groups in the U.S. Academy. But women of color are at the bottom of this hierarchy. Okay. Great. So so, I've, as I made clear in my intro, my aim is not only to describe the depth and breadth of, of, of uh, women of color's underrepresentation and disempowerment in the US Academy, it's also to provide an intersectionally informed analysis of why this is so. So, to this end, let me emphasize a few key points. First, when I'm speaking about intersectionality, I'm referring to the analytical framework pioneered by Black feminists to demonstrate how racial, gendered, and other kinds of disadvantage are mutually constructing or gain meaning from each other. Second, I'm going to focus my intersectional analysis today on African-American women for three reasons. One, we're operating on, under very t- a tight time constraints. Two, data is most readily available for this group of women in higher education. And three, I want to avoid falling into the trap of overgeneralizing about women of color in the academy. So why then are women of color in general and African-American women in particular underrepresented and disempowered in the US Academy? The answer is twofold. It's rooted in structural and attitudinal barriers. We'll start by talking about some of the structural barriers. So women, African-American women who finish graduate school and enter the professorate encounter, in my opinion, four types of structural challenges. The first has to do with teaching loads. Research shows that African-American women faculty often have heavier teaching loads than um, white woman faculty and men faculty or male faculty. The second is teaching evaluations student evaluations of African-American women faculty are often less favorable than the evaluations that are conducted of white women and men of color. Um, I'm not sure what things are like in the Irish context, but in the US context, depending on the kind of institution uh, where you're working, teaching evaluations can have a a very powerful impact on your um, ability to get your contract renewed, to continue on the tenure track, et cetera third structural barrier is um, service work department chairs often expect African American women faculty, for instance, to serve on a multitude of gender related and race related committees. And the previous keynote mentioned that's also the case in Ireland. Um, So we've got teaching loads teaching evaluations service work. The end result of of the burden of service especially when it comes to service work is that many african american women faculty on the tenure track often feel that they cannot say no consider for example this anonymous instructor's explanation that and i'll just read this quote out when you're new you don't know how to say no at least i didn't because i was the minority rep i was on every search committee imaginable it wasn't until my third year that one of the full professors, a woman said, you're crazy. You don't know any, owe anything to these search committees. And uh, we have so few ethnic minorities on campus that those who are willing to s- serve on search committees can be eaten alive by it, end quote, right? So that's just a sort of firsthand um, testimony about what the, the burden of service work does. Um, the fourth and, and the final structural barrier I wanted to emphasize is mentorship. African-American women on the tenure track are often denied adequate mentorship opportunities. For example, they're less likely to have formal, informal interactions with senior faculty, such as spontaneous conversations in the hallway or invitations to lunch than their white peers. African-American women faculty are also less likely than white faculty to establish formal mentorship relationships with a senior faculty member. It's important to emphasize here that this lack of mentorship is an intersectional phenomenon. Put more explicitly, um, lack of mentorship is a problem for African-American women faculty, precisely because the vast majority of academics in the US are white men who actively seek to reproduce reproduce junior faculty and graduate students in their literal and figurative image, right? So in sum, African-American women on the tenure track are arguably denied mentorship, not just because they're a woman, or because they're Black, but because they're a Black woman. And their status at the intersection of race and gender or as Black woman is incompatible with what is see, what is seen as the ideal or normal academic, i.e. an academic who is White or who is male. So we can't reduce this lack of mentorship for Black women to either their race or their gender. I, I would argue that it happens because Black women exist at the intersection of um, minority racial status, and oppressed gender status. So we've talked a little bit about some of the structural barriers. I've talked about lack of mentorship, teaching load, service work, etc. Let's turn our attention now to a more detailed examination of the intersectionally informed attitudinal barriers that often impede African-American women's success in the academy. The first of these attitudinal barriers or stereotypes, if you will, is this notion that Black women are sapphires, right? that they're angry sapphires and the, stereo, the presumption here, the stereotypical presumption here is that African-American women are incapable of academic life, not only because they're a woman and supposedly irrational, but also because they're African-American women who suppose racial inferiority is manifest in aggressive, angry, animalistic and otherwise inappropriate behavior for the academy. And I have here a definition of the sapphire, the brash, independent, hostile black woman who rarely shows vulnerability or um, empathy. And I have here just some images drawn from uh, past and present popular media. This exact stereotype is at work in STEM or in science, technology, um, engineering, and medical fields where many African-American women faculty report that they're more likely than other minority groups to be stereotyped as overly aggressive, um, less committed and ultimately less capable of doing um, academic work. Another attitudinal factor in, um, that limits the ability of African American women to um, succeed in the academy is the st- stereotype of the mammy. Uh, mammy in uh, the US context um, is a st- as a is describes an obese African-American woman of dark complexion with large breasts and buttocks who willingly and jovially serves white households. Central to the stereotype is the presumption that women's and black people's natural role is in service to whites. So you can see here an emotional shoulder to cry on, literally someone who cooks and cleans, someone who nurtures and takes care of young white children. Um, This modern mammy stereotype means that many African American women faculty, what this means in practice is that they're expected to be deferential to their white male colleagues. The stereotype also is also what allows many white students and faculty to not only question African American women's um, women faculty's professional competence, but to demand that these same African African American women faculty comfort those who question their abilities, right? So the idea here is that African American women are expected to be in service um, to their white and male colleagues. And then when those same, and if African-American women speak up and their white and male colleagues get upset, these same African-American women faculty are expected to comfort those who have questioned their abilities or who have questioned their attempts to stand up for themselves. Okay, I'm gonna talk about one other attitudinal factor at work. This is the twofer. Um, For many African-American women faculty, um, one of the realities they must deal with um, in the academy is this, is this widespread assumption that their affirmative action hires and thus not true or legitimate scholars and teachers worthy of hiring and promotion. 2 as this slide explains, are Black women who are hired in great numbers for the best jobs preferred over other applicants, promoted rapidly and promoted rapidly not because of their qualifications, Um, but because they fill two affirmative action categories in terms of preferential hiring, race and gender. So in the little bit of time I have left, I'll take another minute or so, I wanna talk briefly about the way forward. I wanna just highlight some of the concrete things that universities and colleges can be doing to empower women of color in US higher education. First, higher education institutions must work to improve the recruitment of women of color Tangible means of doing this include the following, and I'd be happy to talk about this more in detail um, later. Oops, one second here. Okay, there we go. Include cohort hiring, parent uh, partner spousal hiring, postdoctoral fellowships, startup research funds. So these are some things, and we can unpack these later that I think are crucial in um, increasing the number of women of color in the academy. Higher higher education institutions must also work to improve the retention and promotion of women of color in the academy. Some tangible means of doing this involve course releases reduced teaching loads, pre-tenure sabbaticals, reduced service loads, tenure clock extensions, and formal and informal mentorship. And again, I've personally benefited from a number of these things. I'd be happy to talk about them in more detail later. So let me wrap up by emphasizing that the concrete suggestions I've shared are firm evidence that while the road ahead is challenging, overcoming racism and sexism in US higher education is not a fantasy, but a but rather a realizable goal that universities and colleges can and should achieve. This is ultimately so because as Black feminist Bell Hooks so aptly reminds us, quote, education is about the practice of freedom from the predominant order of things, end quote. Thank you so much.
2: Um, thank you very much, Kisha, for this uh, very interesting presentation. Um, it gave us a great insight into how racism and sexism affects career progression of women of color in the US, and also how these structural and attitudinal barriers lead to underrepresentation and lower pay and also disempowerment. And um, we would definitely be interested in hearing more about um, the role of recruitment and um, promotion in how to remove uh, these barriers.